Okay, everybody, here we are, Flea Market Fantasy number seven. This time I got the number right, I think. Right, Mike Dell? Yes. Excellent. Okay, so this is your co-host, Mike Allen. As always, I'm joined by... Michael Dell of the LCS Hockey Radio Show. That's right. And this week, we are reading Mike Dell's Bronze Age pick. This is the world's greatest comic magazine, The Fantastic Four, number 171. Yes. This is from June 1976. And the, the last time I went to a comic book store, Mike Dell, was probably like five years ago. Okay. And... We were just talking before the show that you said Thursdays are your your day to go to the comic book shop. What did you buy today, Michael? You want to tell the kids? Oh, good, what you bought? Qu- yeah. good question. I bought um, what's it called? Uh, Batman: The White Knight. Huh. Uh, yep, by Sean Murphy. And I bought. Oh boy, I should go get my stack. You know what's funny so, is I I did I bought like a few new comics, but mostly I bought reprints today. Old stuff. Well, well, let me ask. Batman the White Knight is that like when he's in the KKK or what's that about? No, 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 no. It's uh, it's basically like this. Um, it, it's a it's a story by an artist named Sean Murphy who we actually interv- the syndicate interviewed years ago. And when I met him, I actually I, I tend to put my foot in my mouth sometimes, you know. <laughs> and um, I actually said to him, I said, "So Sean Murphy, I mean, you're a great artist. I mean, how does it feel to like that you're not drawing like Batman or something like <laughs> really popular?" And he's like, and his response was, uh, "Yeah, that'd be like you know telling a guitar player, hey, you're really good at guitar. Why aren't you an Aerosmith?' You know. <laughs> so <laughs> <laughs> why do all your current bands suck? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so anyway, years go by, and finally, now he is drawing Batman. So it's kind of cool, you know. And, um, and and by the way, I just let it slide that he he. Reference Aerosmith like it was a good band. I just let. That I go. know, I know. I I gotta say it was, it was a dated <laughs> reference and an incorrect reference, but yes. we both get it, right? Yeah. So technically, I should correct. So the one I'm reading right now is called Batman: Curse of the White Knight. It's a sequel to Batman: The White Knight. So, but anyways. But, really but why is it the White Knight again? Like, why? What's the? Uh, I think it's just a play on Dark Knight. You know, like um, it's like it's in this weird continuity where in this comic, Joker is called Jack Napier, like he is in the movie. Okay. Right? And so it's not quite the comic book continuity. It's like a mixture of the comic book and the movie continuity. And I think it's just called White Knight to contrast it with uh, Dark Knight. Also, I think it's because in the, in the first story, the Joker kind of becomes the good guy. So I think it's a play on that. All right. I'm very confused by all this. But this isn't a Batman <laughs> podcast. No, oh, not at all. We're talking Fantastic Four today. But I got on all that because uh, about the last time I was in a comic book shop was about five years ago, Michael. And uh, the way to go, if, if you're going to a comic book shop, uh, just go into the back issues and just pick some interesting, fun stuff. Uh, like right. th- You can get them real cheap. You can get these old issues real cheap because they're beat up, and who cares? You know? Right. You're, you're not getting them uh, as an investment. You're getting them because each issue, Michael, is a little time capsule. You open it up, yes. and uh, you get the scent <laughs> of the old comic, that musty yes. scent. <laughs> you, musty scent. Yep. You get to see all the old advertisements. It's great. So treat yourself. You can spend five bucks and get three books, and it's great. Uh, so this one is one of the ones I picked up because the idea was to pick up some issues I could do for the Flea Market Fantasy column, and I ended up doing like a Black Panther that I bought there. Okay. And I, I but I, this was one of the the ones that I purchased, and I never got around wow. to doing it for the Flea Market okay. Fantasy. So I'm like, oh, we'll do it now on the show. Uh, so yeah, it's Fantastic great. Four 171, and of course the reason I picked this issue at the store was it has a spectacular cover. And uh, they fight a monkey. Yes. So I'm a big fan of monkeys. So <laughs> if there's a monkey involved at all, I will 
sign me up. I'm, I'm there for it. Uh, and when you're fighting a giant golden monkey, that's a story I want to read. Okay. And that's, you're in. And that's what's going on here in this Fantastic Four 171. Uh, let, let, let's talk about the cover, Michael, because I think this cover is spectacular. It's uh, it's drawn by Jack Kirby. This is right. This is after he came back from D.C., and mm-hmm. he, he was doing some Fantastic Four covers for a stretch here. But uh, first of all, up at the top, top left corner, you, ha- you have the little blurb, still only 25 cents. That's great. The glory days. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I love great. that. Yeah. And then you did read the official title, The World's Greatest Comic Magazine, Fantastic Four. Yep. And they sure, sure is, yep. And they got the little circles uh, next to the title with the character faces in them. I like that. Oh, That's a nice touch. I love that. Me too. But the great thing, so it's a great Jack Kirby drawing of the big monkey, and then you got the thing uh, fighting him and uh, Mr. Fantastic stretching to save Re- or, uh, Sue, and Human Torch is blasting him with his little fire beams there. But the great thing about this cover, Michael, is we have thought balloons for the thing. Right. If I uh, if I don't take him out with one punch, Sue's a dead woman. You know, well, it's first of all only he has thought bubbles. Yes, and I don't understand why it specifically has to be one punch. But okay. Well, because he has to hurry. Two punches, it'll be too late. Okay, she'll, okay. She'll get crushed. Okay, he's in a rush. Yeah, she'll get crushed. Uh, then uh, on the right there, we have a, a box saying "Mightier than Kong, Deadlier than Godzilla." This is gore. G O R R exclamation point. Gore. And considering you know how popular gore is today, I think that statement is true, right? <laughs> so, and then at the accurate. at the bottom we have another little circle. Not just another giant gorilla story, because hmm. you know you'll gasp at the startling <laughs> secret of gore. <laughs> gore, that's in a little box. But yeah, I I love this, Michael. This is what a comic book cover should be: action, I agree. a fight scene, uh, thought bubbles, uh, blurbs. This is what I want in a comic book cover. I'm with you on that, 100%. Yeah, because nowadays it's all like stylish stuff and, oh, let's make it look slick and clean. No, I want, yeah, I want like, blurbs and nonsense on my cover. That's what I want. Yeah, I'm with you. <laughs> and they're trying to be too serious, right? And yes. Violent and dark. No, this is, this is fun stuff. I agree. Now, now Mike, oh, I have a feeling you're probably a bigger fan of the Fantastic Four than I am. We talked about this a little bit last week. Oh, I said I've always, you know, liked them in a, a – from a distance, I was never really a huge reader oh. of the Fantastic Four. Uh, I maybe in my collection, I maybe owned like three or four <laughs> oh. issues. But I, I know a while ago, Michael, weren't you trying to go back and read all the early Fantastic Fours from Kirby and Stanley? Yes. So I've actually just recently read Fantastic Four number one straight through to number fifty. Oh, all right. By Stanley and Jack Kirby. Yeah. Um. In other times in my life, I've read the whole John Byrne run from 232 to, I think, 294 or something. Wow. Uh, I've read the whole Steve Englehart run that came after that. Holy hell. I read, yeah, I read the Mark, or sorry, then I read the Carlos Pacheco and Jeff Loeb run. I read the Mark Wade run. And then I know a lot of people really like the John Hickman run. I haven't read that, but um, I've heard good things about it, so... I think Mike, definitely a big fan. I think Mike, oh, you're an, you're an honorary member. I think you're it's the Fantastic Five now with Mike. Oh, geez, all right, I'm yes, yeah. I think you. Uh, how, how do you feel about the uh, what is what are they nowadays? The well, they're still they still exist, right? The Fantastic Four, but weren't they like the Freedom Foundation for a while or something? Well, there there was a spinoff called the Freedom Foundation. Yeah, okay. and yeah, but and then unfortunately the FF was canceled for like about a year. But that's more because of 
politics between Marvel and 20th Century Fox. Like, Marvel was pissed off at Fox because they wouldn't give them back the movie rights to FF, so they canceled the book to kind of get back at them, but it didn't really accomplish much. And now they bought bought Fox, so it doesn't matter now, right? Yeah, so Fantastic Four, there is an ongoing series right now at this moment, right? Yes, yes. All right, well, and we should also note, for those that don't know, this is technically the first official Marvel comic, right? Like, this started the official Marvel Universe. Yeah, like, superheroes were dead. And then uh, Fantastic Four, what was that, Michael, 63? Uh, 61. 61. But no, but DC brought back superheroes first with their Flash and Green Lantern revivals. Yeah, but for Marvel, the superheroes were dead. For Marvel, yes, yeah. for Marvel, absolutely. This was the beginning, yeah. And then this, this led to the resurgence of superheroes, and then you had Spider-Man was 63. Is that correct? Yes, Okay. that's right. And then uh, this led to the success of Fantastic Four. They wanted another superhero team. So, hey, let's put together our other heroes and make them the Avengers. You got it. Then you had Daredevil and uh, all all those guys. So, yeah, this started it all, though, the the Fantastic Four. All right, Michael. So uh, this issue, uh, getting into the plot here, when it opens up, uh, it's a great splash page. It is. Yeah, you got the thing punching to somebody. But it's a uh, it's a live model decoy though. It's like it's a robot, Michael. It's a robot. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so they're uh, a, li- a life model decoy, not a live model decoy. Oh yeah, yeah, right? life model decoy. Whatever. That would be like calling the maple leafs the leaves, right? <laughs> yeah, Come who, on. Who would do that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Some dope. <laughs> All right, but uh, yeah. So we get a uh, thing just cracking this uh, robot, and you you see uh, Reed in the background, and he's like, "Hey, good job, Ben." And, and you turn the page. Oh, we should mention the title. Of this issue is "Death Is a Golden Gorilla." Yes. And it's it's written by Roy Thomas and drawn by George Perez, and we'll get into that later. Right, sure. <laughs> but uh, Death is a Golden Gorilla, or uh, my alternate title would be Death by Monkey. I think, okay, okay. <laughs> I think Death by your, Monkey. That's your suggestion, your yeah. writing suggestion? If I was okay. editing it, Death by Monkey. Uh, so <laughs> the the next page, we, we still see Thing. Uh, he's having quite the uh, the Donnybrook here with his robot, and, and, and he, <laughs> he crushes him. But then the surprising thing for me, Michael, the thing takes his head off. Yes. He takes his head off. What, what's right. going on here, Michael? Well, you know, I, I don't know the issues that were leading up to this, but at this point, uh, Ben Graham had lost his powers. And I believe yeah. that, it, I think it was deliberate, right? Like, I think no. that uh, Reed Richards says, no, was it accidental? He was in a fight with a Hulk. Right, right, right. And the pro- right, and he got exposed to gamma radiation. Yes, That's right. The prolonged okay. exposure to the gamma radiation reversed the cosmic ray mutation, and and he was Ben Grimm again. He was no which makes no that. sense at all. But because okay. <laughs> he's fought the Hulk a lot, you know. Right. So maybe I guess that was it. It was like the buildup of it after fighting so many times. Sure. Um, and and you, you know what's funny is I love how you know these superpowers they have are so unique that. Even if they lose them, all you have to do is create a thing suit that, by the way, has a zipper on it. <laughs> well, and... well, this is Reed Richards. This isn't you're not yeah. you're not going to the tailor down the street. This is Reed Richards, a scientific yeah. genius. He devised an exoskeleton, Michael. It's an exoskeleton, and uh, it's collapsible. It's almost like cloth, but it's sturdy and strong, like rock. When he yes. puts it on, and uh, yeah, the zipper's hidden, so you can't even tell it's a zipper. Uh, okay yeah, okay so, so i'll give you that it. it's a it's a hidden zipper yeah it's okay. a hidden zipper and uh he, reed richards is saying all i wanted was to get you as strong as like power man but i i, mm-hmm. I think we're up to 90 percent of your original power thing we're real close to you being just as good as you were and i was like mm-hmm. oh all right well that's pretty but i like this whole idea of the exoskeleton i i didn't know this was a thing so uh i like this this is a nice so gimmick to speak i like this angle yeah 
Well, for me, I don't, I don't like it only because it, to me, it's like, well, then why do they need their powers if he can just duplicate them all? But whatever, that's fine. <laughs> well, but he he can only duplicate ninety percent of them. Okay, okay, I got gotcha. you. So, yeah, right. and I don't know how how could you duplicate Johnny Storm? Just set him on fire and hope for the best. I don't know. I guess so. Yeah, I don't know if that won't work. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so, uh, but the thing, he's kind of sad. He's like, yeah, you know, I got this exoskeleton. But the, the, the thing, Ben Grimm, he's like, I'm not the same, though, you know? And, and mm-hmm. you, you see him walking around, and he's like, all these new kids on the block, you know, you got the Hulk and you know, all these other people coming in. They're stronger than me. And he's like, some little punk like Spider-Man's going to be stronger than me soon, you know? So he's mm-hmm. he's torn internally. A lot of uh-huh. A lot of internal conflict. Whether uh-huh. he still fits with the team, maybe they need to replace him. So uh, I like that angle. That's good stuff. Pathos, too. right? Yeah, that's good times. So uh, then, uh, <laughs> oh well, he he wanders in on uh, Invisible Girl there, Sue Storm. Right, Sue Storm. Yep. She's also training Michael. Mm-hmm. She's practicing her uh, her little uh, force fields, her bio. What does she call them? Bio something or other. Uh, uh let me see. Uh, yeah, what does she call them? Bio. Focused force fields, my biofocused force fields. And then Thing says, oh, you're wearing bifocals? She's like, no, 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 no. Oh, right. right. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, again, because I've been reading all the Stanley Jack Kirby stuff, the dialogue is not nearly as funny. Like, I, I think Stanley's dialogue is much better. <laughs> really? But that's okay. Yeah, I do. Yeah. Because uh, Stanley, we mentioned this before, like, at least on the LCS show, but Stanley, his, his, his two best works are probably Spider-Man and Fantastic Four. Yes, absolutely. That's where he put his true focus on, because uh, Stanley Daredevil stuff not so good. Don't true. No, yeah, don't. That. Actually, that's true. You know, I've read some other Stanley stuff, like he did the Human Torch, you know, side stories, and he did whatever. And yeah, you're, it's not. You can tell that he's got his A game and his B game. You know. Yeah, because he was just doing so much stuff back then. Like you know, you, right? You, exactly. It couldn't all be great. Right. All right. So uh, here, uh, Sue Storm, though, she's talking to Ben Grimm and she's like, uh, she mentions uh, Alicia Masters, who I guess is that's Ben Grimm's girlfriend at the time, right? Right. Blind. Blind girl. Yeah, blind girl. Uh, she's in, uh, she says, you know, she, Alicia's babysitting Franklin, the, the Richards mm-hmm. kid. And he's like, maybe, you know, she's trying to tell you something, Ben. I think she wants a baby. You need to put a baby in her. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> Let's put your thing in her. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah she says that and then uh mm-hmm. she just says well i guess the showers are free i gotta go <laughs> so yeah. she, that's quite the awkward change and then uh mm-hmm. on the next page we get a scene change a literal scene change michael because yeah they tell us of course yeah. <laughs> there's a yellow narrator box and mm-hmm. it literally says scene change yeah. <laughs> so here we get johnny storm uh with his girlfriend and uh her name is frankie ray Frankie Ray. Now, do you know a lot about Frankie Ray? Well, the only thing I know about Frankie Ray is that she goes on to become the Herald of Galactus Nova. Yeah, that's right. Uh, So that's uh, quite the reveal there. But uh, we don't know that (laughs) yet, of course. But we also don't know her backstory. And neither does Johnny Storm. Because their relationship is pretty weird here. It seems like she's scared of him being the Human Torch. Right. She's right. Yeah. She's She's trying to get him to stop being a superhero. Yeah, and I hate that, you know? I hate that. Yeah, it's kind of ridiculous. And it gets ridiculous as the story unfolds. Well, but, Michael, but, Michael, I'm with you. When you're reading it live, you're like, oh, well, this is pretty – what's wrong with this broad? Why doesn't Johnny Storm just kick her to the curb? You don't right. You don't need this in your life, Johnny. You know, find yeah. a supportive lady. You don't need this. Mm-hmm. But she has her reasons. 
and we'll get into those oh, so the, in a little okay. bit. Okay. Yeah. Okay. But but here during the the issue, you're like this Frankie lady. She is terrible. He needs uh-huh. to dump her. She's a mean yeah. girl. So well, well, they're at the zoo and they're enjoying a nice trip to the zoo and they start kissing and uh, making out and stuff. And oh, Michael, there's a high pitched squeal and what happens? A UFO flies by. <laughs> yeah, UFO. Uh, and this is, of course, the best part of the story. Oh yes. The UFO lands in the middle of the park, and then, I, and then Johnny is going to going to intervene, but then he doesn't. Yeah. He stops himself because he's agreed to, you know, stop being a superhero, yeah. stop being the Human Torch, and so he's like, ah, let the police handle it. So he's out. So then we cut over to the police, and then we get my favorite part of the whole comic, okay? Can I read this? Yeah, you tweeted it out the other day. Yes, I tweeted it out. So the doors of the UFO are opening up, and the cops tell us. We see the cops are narrating. The door is opening. There's, some, some, there's somebody inside there in the shadows. He's coming out. He's a gorilla, and he's golden. <laughs> yes. That's exactly. And he's golden. And he's golden. Oh. Now, when, oh, yes. now, when we say UFO, it, it doesn't look like a platter or a disc or something. It, it's very Jack Kirby-ish. In like the, totally Jack Kirby-ish, Yeah, yes. the way they designed it. And uh, <laughs> my other favorite part is like the, the UFO, the spaceship, it kind of lands like vertically. It's standing up, and then it just tips over. Boom, falls over. Yeah, good point. Yep. <laughs> so, so the monkey jumps down at the cop, Michael, and then uh, the monkey just starts growing. Yes. He just starts growing. And uh, um, the, and the great dialogue continues. Uh, not only that, he's even glowing. He, holy cow, what a jump! Jerry, watch out! Yeah, I'm, huh? Do you guys see what I see? He's growing right in front of me. It's not. Don't stand there. Get back here. Anyway, yeah. Roy Thomas is a is a fun writer, but his dialogue's terrible. I'm sorry. Again, this is 1976. This is this is great stuff. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Okay, I, I like how you were criticizing Mr. Miracle, but you're defending this. But okay, continue. Well, let me know when Granny Goodness shows up, and then we'll uh, right, I'll reconsider okay. things. <laughs> but uh, uh, so we get uh, the Human Torch. He says, hey, I'm sorry, Frankie. I got to go. There's a giant golden monkey now. I got to go. <laughs> you know? Yep. When, See ya. When it was just a UFO, all right, we'll let, it, we'll let the cops handle it. But now it's <laughs> a giant golden monkey. I need to go. So so he flames on and and she's all sad, but then he changes his mind, Michael. He, yep. He, he turns off the flames. He lands and he says, "Hey, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have. Yeah, I shouldn't have turned into the Human Torch. I'm sorry." But nobody says, I, "If I'm going to give up being a superhero, I've got to start sometime." Yeah. So might as well be and now. It might as well be now. So yeah. yep, he's done. But basically, he just doesn't want any part of that big golden monkey. Because he knows that monkey would whoop his ass. So he's like, I, I yeah. don't want any of that. So uh, Gore starts going on a rampage through the city, uh, you know, kind of like big monkeys like to do. And uh, But he's going to one place in particular, Michael. He sees the Baxter building. Mm-hmm. He's like, oh, I got to get over there. So he starts climbing up the building. And uh, he just, <laughs> like, they, they show inside the Baxter building. And now, Michael, do you see the part where uh, Sue uh, comes out? With her little uh, like apron and her, what is that, like a spatula? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, she's holding, I think it's a spoon or something, but yeah. Or a spoon, yeah. Like she a has a little spoon. pink apron around her waist. And <laughs> and Reed is busy on his science. And, yep, uh, he's sciencing. And she's like, well, I like that. You know, like we're about to have a nice little lunch and you're still busy yeah. with your sciencing. And he's like, just five more minutes, five more minutes. Uh, but then Michael Gore crush, he punches through the building and he just grabs Sue, just like King Kong did with Fay Ray, you know, and he, of course. he, uh, yep. he, he takes her away. 
and uh, he, he climbs up to the top of the building there. And so Thing and Reed have to go and, and save her. And, uh, we, oh, we get it. It's clobbering time, Michael. We get it, and it's clobbering time. And, and Thing well, punches Well, I also monkey. like how, sorry, I like how the Thing was not in the room. It's kind of awkward storytelling because the Thing was not in the room. So he comes in and he says, glad you're back amongst us, pal. But but that noise I heard and that hole, what? <laughs> and then he figures out what's going on. Yeah, because then he looks out and he yeah. sees a big giant monkey. Uh, right. But yeah, they have to punch their way out of the building too because the monkey's uh, blocking their exit with a, what do they call What do they call their little, is that a Quinjet? That's like what S.H.I.E.L.D. No, them, no, but. it's, uh, what do they call it? The Fantastic Car, right? Uh, the Fantastic Car, which is the perfect yeah. name for it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that thing goes up and punches the monkey right in the jaw. Bang. Oh, I'm sorry. Frack. That was the sound of it. Yep. Frack. Yeah. Uh, but the monkey, not impressed. And he just kind of pushes the thing away. And, and he, he throws Reed in the fantastic car away. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, the monkey's having none of this. Uh, but then, Michael, we, we cut to Johnny Storm, and he's hearing about it on the news. And what does he have to do? Well, unfortunately, once again, he's got to go out and help the FF, right? Because that's his buddies. What's well, his sister? That's his family. It's a sister. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's yeah. his family. Yeah, technically, you're right. Yeah. And, and then we see Frankie. She's crying. She's weeping. She said that Johnny mm-hmm. left. But there's more going on there, Michael. There's more going on. Um, yeah, there's some strange captions, but we'll get to those later because you're going to reveal yes, her backstory, yes. right? Yes. We'll, okay. we'll talk about the backstory of Frankie Ray. Uh, so then Johnny Storm shows up and he starts uh, shooting the monkey, but the monkey throws the thing at Johnny Storm, and yes. and he knocks him out, and then Reed has to save him, and uh, yeah. I like how when 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 Johnny Storm loses his flame, you can see that he has like jeans and like yeah. shoes on, but then when he's flamed up, it's just all skin tight, right? <laughs> yep. I love that. Yeah, I don't know. I, I know. Yeah, because that's the thing. Like when you're de- designing these characters, you got to think about stuff. Like, well, what if this happens? But yeah, for some reason, his jeans. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how. They yeah, doesn't, you think he'd, he'd be naked or something? I don't know. But no, yeah, he's, something. He's wearing jeans, flame retardant jeans. Uh, mm-hmm. So uh, Reed saves him, and, and uh, Invisible Girl. She's like, "Well, these clowns—they're not going to save me. I better do it myself." So she starts expanding a force field, uh, like real close to her body, and expanding it out until she breaks the monkey's grip, mm-hmm. and then she uses like a little invisible parachute. To float down yeah. <laughs> so that's nice it doesn't quite make sense but that's fine yeah <laughs> so that's nice so so they regroup oh <laughs> there's well there's uh something here uh sue's telling reed but i i still wouldn't mind uh if you held me just a little <laughs> yeah yeah i know i know well but before that because she says the day i'm good i'm good for nothing but a hostage is the day i hang up my leotard <laughs> yeah but i still wouldn't mind much if you held me just a little just so yeah a little. That's the lead up. Because she's still <laughs> she's still a girl. <laughs> right, yeah, so. that, that's what Roy the boy is trying to say there. Yep. Uh, so, but the the FF regroup and they go back at the monkey and they start to get the the edge on the monkey, um, because the thing like kicks him in the face and fuck, yep, <laughs> yeah, yeah, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> and Johnny's shooting him with his beams and, but here the the big hero here though is uh, Invisible Girl again. She like. Uh, puts a force field around the monkey and she's basically just choking him out you know yep cutting off his oxygen so so the monkey starts to shrink and and then he mm-hmm. passes out and oh. oh and this is this is great because then ben graham runs down the stairs and manages <laughs> to defy you know the speed of uh what is it is that acceleration what is that called i don't even yeah, know what it's sure. called 
going yeah, on. Yeah, but he somehow makes it to the bottom uh, of, the, of the Baxter building before the monkey gets there <laughs> through falling, and he catches the monkey. Well, in fairness, uh, Johnny Storm did grab the monkey. and Oh, and slow him down. Yes, okay, maybe he slowed true. him down that's enough true. that he could get there. Yeah. But he, he couldn't hold him entirely. But I, I like how his hands, like, you know, they, they he flames off just the hands. So yeah, that's him. cool. And then, uh, but he can't hold him, so the monkey does fall. And the thing's down there, and he catches him. Now, let me ask you this, Michael. Okay. What, what do you think would feel better, falling off the top of a building and landing on a cement uh, street or a bunch of orange rocks? <laughs> a bunch of a bunch of orange rocks with a with a zipper sticking out of them. That's what I want to know. Yeah. What's worse? So right? I don't. Yeah. I don't know if the monkey would survive this fall either way, but he does because he's a giant monkey, and you know they're strong, they're resilient. So uh, they cap they capture the monkey, they take him back to the Baxter Building, and they they strap him up into this contraption they had to, for the Hulk, you know, to hold the Hulk. So yes, it, it's kind of like a he's just uh, his hands are pinned and his legs are pinned. Mm-hmm. And he, but he's he's standing straight up, so uh, it's it's a weird. It's almost like he's at a carnival and they're throwing knives at him. You sure, know? great. <laughs> you see that? So uh, they they start thinking what they're going to do with this monkey, and then the monkey starts to talk, Michael. Yes, <laughs> and then and, and then Reed Richards says the gorilla talked. Not only is he a giant golden monkey from outer space, but this giant gold monkey from outer space can talk. And, yes. and he can sp- and, speak English. That's the other and, thing. Yes, that's the third thing. And what's the fourth thing? He is well, he's a, a herald of Galactus. Well, no, 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 no. He's not a herald of Galactus. Oh, he's not a herald. No, 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 no. Oh, uh, am he, I reading too much into that? Yes. He says, uh, okay. <laughs> wait, the, the, uh, I'm having trouble reading here. But uh, when my whole mission for which I, I came nearly 200 million miles was to find someone like you for and enlist you Lister aid for it's too late against Galactus. Oh, right. So technically he's not a herald. You're yeah. right. Okay. And, uh, he wants to fight Galactus. And, and the, the ink on this copy is very faint. So that's why I'm Oh, to... okay. Well, that's what you get for, what <laughs> yes. was it, a buck something? Yeah, yeah. take like a buck for it. So the, the ink okay. is very faint and it's tough to read. But, yeah, the, he came all the way to Earth to get the Fantastic Four's help in fighting Galactus. Okay, okay. So so what's going on here? Well, yeah, there's some uh, stuff we got to talk about here. Uh, first of all, yeah, this is Gore's first appearance, Okay. of course, in Marvel Comics. Because I thought maybe this was one of those monsters that Kirby created back from in the, the day. You know? From the 50s, yeah. sure, yeah. But no, this is Gore's first appearance. And uh, what's going on here, Mike Gale, is actually the high evolutionary, you know, that guy. Yes, uh, what was his Absolutely. what was his deal? He's just like a, a an Earth scientist who discovered like gene, gene manipulation and stuff, and then yeah, know. and then he created like a race of uh, kind of anim- what were they called? They were half animal, half man, but I don't remember what they were called. They weren't any man. We're gonna call them animals was- just because that was a, okay. Sure, that was sure, a great okay. TV show. Animal. All right, <laughs> and he also Michael created something called the Counter Earth. Yes. It didn't it didn't it rotate around the sun on the opposite side of our solar system? Uh, I think he synced it one second behind Earth. Time. Oh, okay. So okay. it was like just out of dimension, so we couldn't okay. perceive it or something. But it, okay. it was basically his idea of creating an idyllic paradise, everything the Earth should be, with no corruption, no okay. evil. But then he had one of his, uh, but one of his little minions, I think Monkey Man or something. He uh, <laughs> he he he. Uh, what do I want to say? 
he, he fucked things up. Let's put it that way. <laughs> he just okay. fucked things up. So he let there be corruption on Counter-Earth. So it caused a big thing with High Evolutionary. But the, the point in this story is that uh, Counter-Earth is out there and Galactus finds it. Uh, and Galactus okay. wants to eat it. <clears throat> okay. So gotcha. High Evolutionary is like, oh, shit, I need some help again to fight Galactus. So he, he, he uh, genetically modifies a monkey to create gore. And then he sends gore on a mission to Earth to get the Fantastic Four and bring them to Counter-Earth. Gotcha. So okay. that's what this is all about. And Gore, uh, to his credit, he didn't mean to flip out when he came here to Earth. Like he went on, he, you know, he's kind of going nuts there for a little bit. Uh, but the problem was, Michael, when he, he got into the Earth's atmosphere, it made him grow. Ah, okay. And, okay. and he started to panic. He didn't know what was going on. He's like, what's happening? I'm so big. What's going on? And, and so he kind of was freaking out a little bit. Okay. Yeah. So panic attack. Yeah. yeah. So Gore isn't a bad monkey. He's a good monkey. Okay. He's a good monkey. Okay. Yeah. So there you go. Oh, and by and by the way, I found out that uh, high evolutionaries dudes are called the new men. Yeah, like manimals better. Okay. Okay. Uh, all right. So. I, I watched Manimal too, and I also watched <laughs> Auto Man. Remember Auto Man? Vaguely. Yeah. Vaguely. It was, it was like a it was like his uh, Tron ripoff. Yeah. Uh, all right, so yeah, for those who don't remember Manimal, just the guy who could turn into animals. Yeah, right. Yeah. All right. Uh, so, oh, let's talk Frankie Ray. All right, the, the sure the hum- Frankie Ray. What's the backstory there? The Human Torch's girlfriend. Well, her stepfather and guardian, because her mother passed away, sadly. Uh, okay. His name is Phineas T. Horton. Now, does, oh, does, oh, which is the creator of the original Human Torch? Yes. The, okay because the original human torch was an android or as i like to say a robot and uh yeah he created him and so horton is outraged when he sees johnny storm like you know the fantastic four human torch he's like hey i created uh. a human torch way before but the government shut me down and they took my robot so he's like okay i'm gonna go get my robot back so when, when he uh. he wants to break into this government warehouse and get his his robot and when you do that michael the, the thing you want to do is take your little little daughter with you Okay, wanna, okay, that's what you want to do. You want to make yep. sure she's with you. Because, uh, you know, you can't let her out of your sight, so you take her when you commit crimes. Uh, so when he, in the process of breaking into this warehouse, there's an accident, and uh, the little girl, Frankie Ray, who at the time is like, I don't know, 10 or something, she gets doused in chemicals. Okay. And these chemicals are, I guess, the same chemicals that made the android light up on fire or whatever. So she survives, but it gives her the power to turn into the human torch. Like, she can burst into flames. Okay. At any second. But uh, the the dad there, he, I, I guess the Human Torch robot, Michael, back in the day was ostracized from society. Everyone was scared of him and stuff. So uh, th- this Phineas T. Horton, he doesn't want his little daughter to go through that. So he hypnotizes her. And, and he, okay. And he hypnotizes her. He does a few things here. One, he hypnotizes her to let her forget that she has this power. Two, he makes her afraid of fire. So she's scared of fire. Ah, okay. Which is why she was freaking out every time Johnny Storm turned into the Human Torch, because she was hypnotized okay. to fear fire. And gotcha. the third thing he does, Michael, is he designs a uh, transparent suit that encases her body, and it really <laughs> and it suppresses her powers. And he also hypnotizes her so she doesn't. E- she's not even aware that the suit exists. Okay. Now this raises a lot of questions. <laughs> yeah it sure does yeah <laughs> but like a couple issues from now johnny storm finds out about this suit and i think we can figure out how 
Oh boy. <laughs> yep. But sure she can. still doesn't know. Like she doesn't okay. know that she's wearing this transparent suit to suppress her powers. She doesn't know. So they So yeah. okay, beyond that, how can she eat or go to the bathroom? Yes, that's what I don't understand. I don't understand. Okay. But uh okay, whatever. Th- so this is all going on. So once you understand all this, <clears throat> it makes sense then what's going on with Frankie in this story. Of course. Cuz she's been programmed to hate fire, to fear fire and yet she still finds herself drawn to Johnny Storm for some reason. And because mm-hmm. subconsciously, he's another human torch just like she is. <laughs> okay. Okay. They're like okay. They're, so, but then later like you said, Michael, uh Galactus is coming to Earth. And, and she does the old Silver Surfer bit where she says, well, I'll just serve as your herald. And, and she becomes Nova. Ah, uh, okay. See, I didn't understand how that all connected, but now I do. Yeah, so I, I like that backstory for Frankie Ray. For sure. And I am very impressed that you knew the name of the guy who created the first Human Torture Ribbit. I'm impressed too because, like I was saying the other day, there are, I, I have certain cousins whose names yes. I can't remember. So Phineas yeah, T. Horton. And you knew yeah. it right away. <laughs> Bang. Yep. That's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> all right so there you uh, go i'm sure that any any of the ladies listening right now they're impressed as <laughs> they're, well they're swooning anyway. as we speak yep <laughs> all, right. all right so there you go that's the issue uh the fantastic four that uh that's the entire plot that's your frankie ray that's your gore info uh so let's get into the writer here michael it's roy thomas yeah roy thomas uh he was born in 1940 and he has an interesting story here uh, get a load of this story first of all okay but he he made his own comics as a kid so he always loved comics Okay. And uh, he's from Missouri, I guess. And after he graduated college, he was a high school English teacher, uh, but he still loved comics, and he was a frequent contributor to the letters pages. He would always write in letters to comics. And he actually had letters printed in Fantastic Four 15 and 22. Really? And then years later, he's writing the Fantastic Four. That's pretty spectacular. It's amazing, yeah. But uh, Thomas was also, uh, he was the editor of Alter Ego, which was a comics fanzine. At the time, yep. so a lot of uh, fanboys, and he was like the head fanboy, uh, mm-hmm. and, and this was like when he was in his early 20s, 23, 24. So in uh, 1965, uh, Thomas moved from Missouri to New York City to take a job at DC as an assistant editor to Mort Weisinger, I think is yes. his name, and he was the editor of Superman at the time. And yep. the way Thomas got this job was he had just exchanged like a letter or two with uh, this Mort Weisinger, and he didn't even ask for a job or anything. And Mort says, hey, why don't you come in and be my assistant editor? So Thomas is like, all right. So he moves to New York City. Uh, it's, a, it's a trial basis. So he's working uh, the first week with Mort. and uh, uh, Is that his name? Yeah, Mort. And then uh, Mort, yep. he's working the second week with him. And in that second week, he's like, wow, this Mort guy's terrible. He's just an awful yes. person. <laughs> so, yeah, everyone thought so. So he said he came back to his, uh, his little apartment there, his little hotel room or wherever he was staying. The one night, and he was just so sad and miserable that he sat down and he penned a letter to Stan Lee, and he and he just said to Stan Lee, "I really admire your work, and uh, let me know if I can ever buy you a drink sometime." And he sent a letter. He mailed the letter to Stan Lee. Stan Lee got the letter a couple of days later. Stan Lee calls him up on the phone. Amazing. <laughs> and Stan Lee says, "I guess Stan Lee remembered him as the editor of Alter Ego." Really? Yeah. Okay. So he says, well, what are you doing? Why don't you come into Marvel? We'll give you the writing test if you want to get the writing test here at Marvel. So Roy Thomas goes into Marvel. He takes the writing test. And back then they were doing a writing test. They would give you four pages of art with the the, the balloons and everything, but no dialogue. And you filled in the dialogue. Really? And that was the writing okay. test. So he did that. Lee liked it and said, all right, I'll give you a job. 
and uh, wow. and so he uh, he said, "All right, I'm with you because that that Mort guy is a dick." So he goes, <laughs> so, mm-hmm. so he told Mort he'd give him like you know in, indefinite notice until I I will stay with you until you know you got someone to replace me. And Mort flipped out on him and said, "No, you just get the hell out of here." <laughs> really? Jeez, so and yeah. then he went and joined Marvel. But Mike L, this all happened in a span of eight days. Oh, it's incredible. <laughs> Yeah. What is it like? It's so weird that you you hear these stories about how these guys get started in comics. They're all like nineteen, twenty, in their early twenties. I know. And just these random occurrences, like oh, they just send a guy a letter. All right, you want a job? Sure, I'll take a job as a writer at Marvel. What? It's so, so strange. In more innocent time back then in the sixties, you know. And it's just and it's funny because like like this changed history because yes. Roy Thomas had you know he's been working comics for like 50 years now it's just crazy you know <laughs> yeah and we go through wow. his career here you'll see how important this was uh, so he started out as a staff writer uh, but he said really that just meant he was like a gopher and he was checking he was fact checking he was doing a bunch of other stuff but he proofreading doing all that stuff more than he was writing so he eventually mm-hmm. got moved to being an assistant editor uh, his first uh, actual writing jobs um his first superhero work was as uh, he was doing romance comics. His first superhero work was on an Iron Man story in Tales of Suspense 73 in 1966. Then he took over the regular writing gig of Sergeant Fury and his Howling Commandos in 1966. Right. He did that from issues 29 to 41. And at the same time, he did Uncanny X-Men issues 20 to 43. And, and this was when the X-Men, they weren't popular. They weren't. No. But uh, during this run, I, I think he worked with Neil Adams on this run of actually i think he neil adams came on a little bit later i think he came on around number 50 didn't he i i don't know i think they said they worked together a little bit so oh they did but i think roy thomas i think he was i think he he either continued on and they, or he came back because oh, okay his run yeah his run with neil adams was yes. only five or six issues long yeah yeah you know what i think he did come back to x-men because he, i think he was writing it when it ended right that's right right up to 66 yeah, yeah. um yeah, because X Men, there was a time when it wasn't that popular, and they exactly they actually canceled it and then uh, brought it back. All right, so uh, then in December of '66, he took over the Avengers with issue 35, and he was the yes. regular writer until issue 104 in 1972. So that's quite the run, right? On the Avengers, and I guess that's a very memorable run for the Avengers. A lot of stuff. Happened. Yeah, absolutely, the classic run with. Uh, I think he might have started with Don Heck, but then it was John Buscema after that on Earth. And then in 1972, when Lee became Marvel's publisher, Thomas took over as editor-in-chief. Yes. So think of that. Just a kid who sent Stan Lee a letter one night because he was so sad working at DC for that other guy. Stan Lee, just in response, he becomes the writer of the Avengers and then eventually editor-in-chief. It's amazing. (laughs) Yeah. It's insane. Uh, So he was editor-in-chief for two years uh, until 1974. Then Len Wein took over. Uh, Thomas left Marvel in D- for DC in 81 after disputes with then editor-in-chief Jim Shooter. Yeah. And at DC, he worked uh, on Green Lantern, Batman, Wonder Woman, and the Justice League. But he's probably most famous for a six-year one writing All-Star Squadron, issues 1 to yes. 67. Are you familiar with this comic, Mike Dell? Yeah, here, I, here's a little secret. I wanted to keep this as a secret. I wanted to spring it on you at some point in the run okay. of uh, <laughs> Flea Market Fantasy. But I will be choosing an All-Star Squadron issue. Nice. <laughs> at some point. At some point. Because I have many original issues of All Star Squadron. When I was a little kid, I like I liked the All Star Squadron. Yeah. Great. It's probably my f- my favorite DC title ever, the All Star Squadron. It's oh, it's great. Yeah. All right. Because for those who don't know, it was like the Golden Age heroes brought back. Yeah. It it was basically he went back and took all the Golden Age superheroes and kind of pretended 
that in the 1940s they were in a team together called Ultra Squadron, even though they actually weren't. But it was awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's like a Justice League for the old Golden Age heroes. It was right. amazing. All right. So uh, he, he buried the hatchet with Jim Shooter, and he returned to Marvel in 86. He did a lot of film, TV, and classic literature adaptations. Uh, he was also the ghostwriter for Stan Lee on the Spider-Man newspaper strip from 2000 until it ended just uh, this year. Back in. Oh, I didn't, I didn't know that. Yeah, he was. That must have been a secret because I had no idea. Yeah, he was the ghostwriter. Uh, wow. And it, here's some of the characters that he created or co-created. Wolverine, mm-hmm. Vision, Carol Danvers, yep. Luke Cage, Iron Fist, Ultron, Man-Thing, Valkyrie, Ghost Rider, and Brother Voodoo. Amazing. Lord help me. I love the Brother Voodoo. Oh, yeah. Me too. He's cool. <laughs> Jacob yep. Drum. Love him. <laughs> All right. uh, Thomas was inducted into the Will Eisner Comic Book Hall of Fame in 2011. And uh, here's a little trivia there about Roy Thomas. He appeared as a prison inmate in uh, season three episode of Daredevil on Netflix. Really? I didn't know that. I'm guessing it was that episode where they had that big, long, continuous shot of that prison riot. Yeah, yeah. So I'm guessing Roy (laughs) Thomas, he probably started the riot. If I know. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) You got to look at him. But yeah, he's in there somewhere if you can find him. All right. So that's Roy Thomas, uh, one of the icons of comic book writing, if you consider his entire career and all that he did. So, uh, Michael, how'd you feel about the writing in this issue? Oh, okay. Here's the thing, Kay. Roy Thomas, <laughs> I've always respected him because of his reputation, because of what he's done. Yeah. But I've slowly realized I just, I don't really like his writing. Like, I don't think he's good. Like, if you think about this issue, all it is, is, what is it, 22 pages? It's like a, or 19 pages. It's a 19-page kind of misunderstanding which is just an excuse to get to the next yeah. stage, which is, I mean, you could, you could argue <laughs> that a lot of stories are that. Yeah, it's a comic book. That's what you want. You want an episodic story to lead you to the next, to the next, to the next. Yeah, that's not a criticism, Michael. That's the way you're supposed no. to do it. No, <laughs> no, but, but it's just, the, it's just the, I don't know. It, just, it's, it seems like Roy Thomas basically said, okay, I want to do a King Kong story, but I'm going to disguise my King Kong story as, a, as an alien King Kong so that the FF can fight him, so then, then I can lead it into the Galactus story. I don't know. It just seems very you, you can't tell that whole Galactus story in one issue, Michael. Well, they're, they're, it's an arc. Like, well, I, don't, okay. I don't understand okay. that as a criticism, that you're only telling okay. one part of it. Yes, it's an issue. Oh, it's an issue, Michael. Uh, <laughs> and also, like, all the dialogue examples we gave, and yeah. plenty more. Yeah, the dialogue. Just, the dialogue's corny. Yeah, that's definitely not there. But here's what I like. I like the fact that this is a smaller part of a larger arc. That it's getting it because now I want to read the next issue. I want to read Galactus. This monkey is somehow tied into Galactus. I want to read what's going on next. So you hook him for the next issue. But uh, I mentioned the eternal conflict with the thing earlier. But he's got a lot of internal conflict in this issue with the thing, with Johnny Storm, with uh, Frankie Ray. Uh, e- even if you take a step back and you you add the conflict for yourself, even with Gore, because that poor little monkey's grown and he doesn't know why. Okay, (laughs) but that's good stuff uh when you're doing characters you want internal and external conflict so he he gives them because the thing i I really like the fact that the thing feel hey maybe i'm not worthy to be on the team anymore you know maybe i'm just not good enough he's definitely a good uh successor to stan lee you know because he did take over ff and spidey from stan lee so he definitely learned you know he learned all of stan's tricks i just don't think he's as good yeah like like the dialogue and stuff not so good but but the the structure and the plotting uh i was a big fan of i liked it okay i'll give you I that i liked it because and, and listen to you just uh you know diminishing monkey stories you're like oh just just, <laughs> a, just another monkey story 
Like that's a bad thing. Good lord, Michael. <laughs> what the hell? It's a monkey well, story. Um, I did enjoy I did enjoy though, don't get me wrong, I did enjoy reading it. It's just that as I was enjoying reading, I was also understanding that it had many weaknesses. But I, I just I just think the Galactus reveal at the end is dynamite. That's a, that's awesome. I guess I'd have to see how it plays out and see how organically everything fits together, you know. It's Galactus. It's great. <laughs> Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> anytime, you, anytime you have Galactus, it's amazing. All right, uh, so let's get into the art. There's actually two artists here, Michael. Two artists. Yes, that's true. Rich Buckler drew the first three pages. And uh, yes. Buckler was born in 49. He, he sadly died in 2017. Uh, beginning in September 1973, Buckler drew the first three issues of Don McGregor's classic Black Panther story in Jungle Action, issue 68, right. The Rage of the Panther, right? Is that what it was called? That's right. Yeah. Have you ever read that? Actually, I did. I read those issues, and I believe I read up until Gil Kane's issue, and I plan to get back to it, but I just haven't yet. Yeah, I, got, I, I, I it, read a couple of them. I got to read the whole thing, yeah. It's considered like the first really long-form comic book, almost like the precursor to the graphic novel, I think. Because it, it's one continuous story for like t- two years or something. In 1974, Buckler took over the regular artist <laughs> on Fantastic Four. And he lasted two years. And during this time, Buckler hired a young George Perez as his art assistant. Ah, okay, now, I didn't know that. Now, keep in mind, we're saying that Buckler hired a young George Perez's artist. At this time, Buckler's only 25. So, wow, okay. yeah, at least everyone doing Marvel back then was so young. <laughs> so mm-hmm, young. Mm-hmm. But he was a grizzled vet at 25. Uh, <laughs> he Buckler filled in on various titles over the years, uh, probably Spectacular Spider-Man being his biggest uh, contribution here to Marvel. Uh, where he did 10 issues and two annuals. Um, okay. But yeah, he didn't really have any other lengthy runs on anything. Uh, his, his notable work at DC included the first five issues of All-Star Squadron. Oh, uh, okay. Thomas. Forgot about that. And he did eight issues of Justice League and 19 issues of a World's Finest Comics, where he drew stories with Hawkman, Batman, and Superman. So that's, nice. uh, that's the Rich Buckler. Uh, so that brings us to George Perez. Absolutely. One of my favorite artists. Now, I, I think George Perez by any estimation, would be considered probably one of the top 10 comic book artists of all time. I don't know. Top 20? I think so. Yeah, it definitely as far as popularity, yeah. for sure. Absolutely. Uh, he's, he's one of the best. Um, so, he yeah, he started, he was born in 54 in New York City. He became Buckler's art assistant in 1973 at the age of 19. Wow. And his first work was on Astonishing Tales 25 in 1974. In 1975, Perez uh, came to prominence when drawing the Avengers and the Fantastic Four. Wow, okay. Uh, He did them both from 75 to 80. All told, he did 26 issues and two annuals for the Avengers and 15 issues and two annuals for the Fantastic Four. In 1980, Perez moved to D.C. and drew Justice League of America and the new Teen Titans. And that's probably what made him famous, the new Teen Titans, right? Right, Right, yes. yes. And Crisis on Infinite Earths. Crisis. Now, as a Marvel kid, I have a, you know, a sketchy knowledge of Crisis on Infinite Earths. So why don't you explain it? Really quickly, uh, DC used to have uh, multiple Earths to explain some of their continuity glitches. And to make a long story <laughs> sh- you know, so, well, so they fuck up. Right? So like, oh, let's just create another Earth. <laughs> Basically, yeah. <laughs> And so to make a long story short, it got it started out with Earth 1, Earth 2, then they had Earth 3 for the crime syndicate which were evil versions of the Justice League. Then they then every time they'd buy a company, 
they would say, oh, well, uh, these characters are on Earth 6, <laughs> and these characters are on Earth 4, and these characters yeah. are on Earth S. And then, so, but, and, so, and then over the years, they would have crises, like the crisis on Earth 1, crisis on Earth 2, crisis on Earth C, whatever. And so when it got to 1985, they decided, we want to clean up our continuity and make it easier to understand, so we're just going to have a story called Crisis on Infinite Earths. And at the end of the story, they merged all the Earths together into one. Really? And, and Yeah. And basically, sort of restarted their continuity over for, from scratch for some characters, like Superman uh, and Wonder Woman started over from scratch, but Batman and Green Lantern and The Flash, their continuity continued. Huh. So it, it, it became very confusing because yeah. they didn't have a clean slate. So it, it got really messy. And then basically that continuity basically was maintained until 2011 when DC did the New 52 reboot. Now, now how, they started how did the fans react to all this as a DC fan? Were they? I think, well, there's, yeah, there's, like, I, I was not reading DC at the time, but from what I gather, there was a lot of old-time fans that hated it that stopped reading around that time. And then there was a but, but it also brought in a lot of new fans. And because at the time, DC, like, if you go late 70s, early 80s, DC's sales were nowhere near Marvel's sales, okay? Marvel had overtaken them in, like, the late 70s, or sorry, late 60s, early 70s. And for years, the only DC comics that sold well were stuff like maybe Superman, maybe Batman. But by the, by the time you got to the early 80s, the only comics that were selling well were New Teen Titans and Legion of Superheroes. That was it. Like even Batman and Superman, if you look at like the top 100, they're barely in the top 100. Wow. You know? Yeah, so Crisis combined with Watchmen and Dark Knight Returns by Frank Miller, that's what brought people back to DC basically. And they all happened... In 1985-86, so all around the same time. Uh, Perez also did something called War of the Gods, another DC yes. event, but he didn't finish it, I guess. He, uh, well, because, he, yeah, he was drawing that at the exact same time he was doing Infinity Gauntlet. Yes, and he didn't finish either of them. No. So He overcommitted, yeah, unfortunately, because yeah. they were both cool, but, yeah, he didn't finish either one of them. Yeah, so there you go. There's Perez. All right, so so the art and the, or anything else you want to say about George Perez? Any other... I don't know. I'll just say that this this art is almost unrecognizable yeah. as Prez art, right? Like you would never guess that this was him. But by the time he got to New Teen Titans, especially like late, like when it when there was the New Teen Titans Baxter series, when they kind of started the second run, uh, that and Crisis, I think, is his peak. Like just some of the the nicest looking and you know most detailed and. You know, it's it's experimental storytelling, and he's just a great comic artist. He's really dedicated. Yeah, here here he's uh, 21, 22. He's just right, a kid. Right, right. This is some of his first work he ever did. So, but yeah, by the time he's what 25 or whatever, when he's doing you know New Teen Titans, he he finds a stride. But here he's right. he's just finding his way. And uh, yeah, I would say the I actually like Rich Buckler stuff. The first three pages I loved because it was yeah it it was very it was like, like Kirby, very Marvel. Right. Uh, just the the dynamic poses, um, the perspectives, the the panel compositions, very old school Marvel superhero stuff, it, great stuff. And then Perez, uh, you know, you could see like things were well drawn, but very static, very up and down. Um, Good point. Yeah. The, the same perspective on pretty much every panel, like the same viewpoint. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. So, but yeah, I, Buckler stuff was better here, but then Perez would you know shine as he gets older. But yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he'd eclipse him. Yeah, uh, but overall, this issue, Michael, I enjoyed it quite a bit because we had a monkey. Uh, we we, we <laughs> yeah. had fights. 
we had fights <laughs> we had fights involving a monkey um yep. and you get a mention of galactus there at the end the little twist oh it's galactus oh my goodness so i really enjoyed it I, i'd give it like a seven out of ten i really i really enjoyed it Whew. Uh, I okay. You know what? I did really enjoy this. I'll give it a six out of ten, only because I I definitely am gonna read more of these. Like I plan to go and read this entire run by uh, Roy Thomas. Like this whole era, you know. Because like I said, I'm I'm definitely gonna go up to 102 because that's when Lee and Kirby stopped. But I'm I'm gonna go beyond that too because this is fun stuff. So yeah, I would actually be interested in reading the next issue because to see what happened uh, with Galactus. You know? Sure, me wanna, too. Yeah, me too. I want to see what happens there. And by the way, Gore, I guess he really doesn't um, have much else to do in Marvel after this. Like this is pretty oh, much. Oh, okay. <laughs> so he didn't catch on. No, <laughs> I, I think he's involved in one other story for a little bit, but uh, where he got captured or something. But uh, th- this is basically his high water mark la- in the comic okay, books. Okay, so. <laughs> he peaked early. Okay. Yes. So God bless Gore, though, a giant golden monkey. All right, Michael. <laughs> so uh, next week it's your it's your pick, and please, I hope to God it's a monkey comic. Is there a monkey? Unfortunately, no, it's oh. not. But it is because of the theme. It is tied into the Halloween theme. Okay. Oh, it's a Halloween theme. <laughs> well, it's as clo- well. It's October, so I yeah, figured right. I'd get as close to a Halloween theme as possible. So I am picking Ghost Rider. Oh. The original Ghost, well, not the original because there's like three before this, but the Johnny Blaze <laughs> Ghost Rider. Yeah, there's like 70 okay? Ghost Riders. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so this is Ghost Rider number 77 from February 1983, okay? Wow, 83. Yep, and it's written by J.M. Dematias, or Dematias, <laughs> yeah, how do you pronounce no it? And penciled by Bob Budiansky, who's famous for creating... The personalities and names of all the Transformers. Oh, you love the Transformers. That's right. You love the Transformers. So this was before, I'm trying to think what year, because they didn't like reboot Ghost Rider until later in the 80s, right? When they gave him like the spikes on him, leather jacket. That was, I believe it was actually 90, 90, okay. uh, that it was rebooted by Howard Mackey and uh, Javier, Javier Saltares and Mark Texiera. Yes. Yeah, I remember that last. So, time. and that was Danny Ketch. Yeah, so this is Johnny Blaze, the classic Johnny. Ghost Rider. Is so? Is this Johnny Blaze? Is he like the stunt rider guy? That's right. Okay. Absolutely. All right. So next week, Ghost Rider. You know, you got what it. issue? Seventy-seven. Is that what you said? Seventy-seven. Yep. All right. So next week, can't wait. And on the, I'll just give you a little preview. On the cover, it says, "Revealed at last, the secret origin of the demon who dwells within, who dwells, sorry, who dwells within." <laughs> Johnny Blaze. So now, I, don't, we're in for I don't want you to ruin it if you know, but is that demon, is there any chance that that demon was a monkey? There's no chance. All I'm right. sorry. Nah. That's all I'll say. That sucks. <laughs> all, right. all right. Okay. So yeah, I guess we'll see everybody again next Tuesday and every Tuesday until the end of time. <laughs> this has been your co-host, Mike L, as usual, joined by <laughs> Michael Dell. Yep, and this is Flea Market Fantasy. Please write to us. Let us know what you think of our reviews. Let us know what you think of the comic books. Share these anywhere you can. Tell all your pals about it. Flea Market Fantasy, spotlighting a different Bronze Age comic book every week. All right, see you next time.
Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.